Hey everybody, welcome back to Bucketheads, Land Grant Holy Lands College Basketball Podcast. My name is Connor Lamont, and I am here with my co-host Justin Goble for episode 59 of Bucketheads. This week, we are talking with Land Grant Holy Lands women's basketball writer Thomas Costello for a little bit about the number three ranked Buckeyes over on the women's side. They are 13-0, and they have a road game at Northwestern this week, which by the time this is publishing actually had would have already happened and then they have a huge home matchup against the number 14 Michigan Wolverines on Saturday on the men's side the Buckeyes beat up Maine last week pretty good um, one of the more boring basketball games of the season but we have plenty of little subplots and things to talk about out of that game Justin even though it was a blowout yeah I didn't really watch much of it if I'm being extremely honest Um, I watched some of it Uh, they did what they had to do the thing I like about this team is they beat the hell out of bad teams and that's always a good thing yeah by the time there was i mean i was physically at the game and with like five minutes left i was like googling bear puns to use as my title like i wasn't even i wasn't even paying attention to the game over the last five minutes because i was just like what what bear puns could i put in the tweets and in the titles and shit like that to, to spice up this really boring recap um bryce sensible i had a really good game and I think that's the most important thing to talk about right now. He had maybe the best game of his career. He had 19 points, uh, seven rebounds, seven assists, uh, seven assists to one, just one turnover in 25 minutes. He was three of five from three point range. And on Tuesday, it was announced that he won Big Ten Freshman of the Week for the second straight week, which Malachi Branham also did that last season in mid January. He won that award in back to back weeks. Uh, it's looking like Bryce Sensabaugh could also be a one-and-done just like Branham, although it's not for certain. It's definitely a possibility. Yeah, I don't want to keep talking about Bryce Sensabaugh because I'm afraid NFL, NBA scouts listen to our podcast. If you're listening, yeah. If you're, if you're an NBA scout and you're listening to our podcast, you probably should lose your job, respectfully. That's uh, a fair point. Um, you're being fed, yeah, no, you're I mean, being he's, fed he's, terrible he's, information. Yes, he, yes, we're just lying. No, he, he's a fantastic – He's he's so good. It's so fun to watch. Offensively, I don't think he has a true – there's no weakness in his offensive game, and the defense is starting to come along now. I think he had a pretty a pretty spotless game against North Carolina outside of, like, maybe one bad decision he made. So, And, and that was in the brightest of lights on the biggest of moments, you know, against the Blue Blood at Madison Square Garden on CBS. You know, you can't beat that. So, you know, obviously the, the grind of conference play, we'll see exactly what he has kind of in terms of, like, his stamina and, and stuff like that, but – uh, when it comes to his t- on the floor, he's 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 fantastic. Yeah, I mean, like like you said, there's there's stuff that he very clearly can still get better at. There's actually a, a lot of things that he could still get better at that he's probably only going to get better at. And there are already people that are saying that he could be a first round pick this season. So if he continues to improve in those areas, I think that he might he might hit the road and go make some money, which. You know, I'm all in favor of, especially if that means his production continues and this Ohio State team is successful. But um, even his defense, um, we talked about it a little bit last time we recorded. Um, even his defense is a little bit better. If you watch, there have been several plays where he almost had a steal, but they've turned into tie-ups. He's getting his hand on the ball without fouling. He's trying a lot more on defense now. Um, 
that part of his game is still a work in progress, but it's getting better. But also, just like Malachi, and we talked about it a year ago with Malachi, NBA scouts, correct me if I'm wrong, they don't care nearly as much about your defense as they do your offense, just like with Malachi. Like, okay, you're, you're a versatile scorer. You're, you're a very tall, strong 18-year-old. We'll figure out the defense. What I care about is that you can score at all three levels and you're only 18 years old. Yeah, and there's going to be something to be kind of said about even the fact that, like, you look at Malachi in the NBA right now, and he's he's had a he's getting so much better as the season progresses. Um, that's going to even kind of push people towards Bryce Sensabaugh in terms of okay, seeing how these guys are developed at Ohio State and under Holtman, and um, you know, Dwayne Washington has been able to put up some decent numbers in the NBA so far. So it, it's. It's tricky because I, I firmly believe if he were to, he, I firmly believe he's not going to be a lottery pick this year, and I firmly believe that if he comes back next year, he's almost guaranteed to be a lottery pick, just in terms of how he's going to evolve. But if if he is a late first round kind of guy, it's hard to. If he's a second round guy, it'll be easier to come back. But if he's a late first round guy, it's going to be hard to turn that down and come back for a second year. However, you know, it also depends on maybe. With whatever lineup they have next year, if he thinks maybe they can compete for a Big Ten championship or even a national championship or whatever, maybe that will play into his decision. I don't know. You know, at the end of the day, these guys just want to be put in the best position possible for that second contract because that's where the money is and that's where the the stability is. But it will see. It just really like like I've said this before. This time last year, Malachi Branham was like there's a zero percent chance he was a one and done, right? And then the Nebraska game happened, and then things kind of rolled from there. So conference play, they play 19 games instead of the usual 18. So it'll be more of a grind in 2023, but um, he, he's been every, everything is advertised and more so far um, in the, through their first 11 games. I think it was about this time last year. I don't remember if it was before it, it might've been before the Nebraska blow up game that we did our weekly debate article. And it was, could, could Malachi Branham, be a one and done for Chris Holtman. Could could Malachi Branham leave? And I'm, it had to be before the Nebraska game because I'm sure that if we did it after the Nebraska game, it would be like, yeah, it's a no-brainer. And we got several responses saying, like, slow, slow news day. This is ridiculous. Um, that's quite a ways away to be thinking about that. Also, it was, it was absolutely a slow news day. It was in the end of December. Yeah, that checks out. But also, uh, Bryce Sensabaugh, is, he's farther along right now, late December, than Malachi was one year ago. Um, however, that doesn't necessarily mean that Bryce Sensabaugh is going to blow up in conference play and average like 17.7 points per game through all of Big Ten play and continue to go upwards like Malachi did. But, I mean, it's just, he's farther along than Malachi was. And Malachi was a one and done, the 20th overall pick. Um, you look at Sensabaugh and it's just like, when you watch the games, no offense to him. I don't mean this in a mean way. He's not nearly as muscular and fit and like cut as he will be in a couple of years. Obviously he still looks like just kind of a big, like a, a big thick kid who's real good at basketball. Like this dude is not nearly as physical or in shape as a lot of the guys on the court. And he's still ho-hum up to like 16 points a game. Like, Oh my God. Just like if a- any team is looking at him and they're like, holy shit, like, let's get him in our weight room. Let's cut, like, 10, 15 pounds of fat and get, like, 10, 20 pounds of muscle on this guy. And holy hell, we're going to have a 20-point-per-game score in the league. And that's why teams will reach, or air quotes, reach, 
and take him in the take him in the first round this season because I know he's going to be a stud in the league once they you know are able to work with him a little bit. There's there's just so much stuff with him that is still to be developed yet he's still playing so well. Yeah, and that's where I think the the grind of the Big Ten play and playing you know Michigan and Michigan State and Purdue and Rutgers and Indiana and Illinois and kind of night in night out will really tell more to us than than the than non conference because. You know, there's less time in between games. There's more travel in between games. There's just there's so many more factors that play a role in conference play than non-conference play, and it would kind of tell NBA teams, okay, is he ready to go from a 30 game slate to an 82? I think that was the biggest thing with Branham was he got better when the competition got bigger and the and the conference you know he was better in conference play, non-conference play. That's just a that that's that's a fact. So I think that was appealing to NBA teams because they were like, okay, he's ready to make that jump um, from 30 games to 82 games. He has that stamina. He has that, that kind of, I guess, of grittiness of about him. So, um, and also, you know, he proved that he could lead the team, right? He proved he could be the go-to guy, and that's something Bryce Sensible has already proved. Hence the Rutgers game. Hence the North Carolina game. So, those are the two biggest things I think that um, really helped Branham and are kind of starting to help Sensible. And you don't want to talk about it because you're like, I don't want his production, like. Well, I'll tweet it over and over. Everybody will tweet it like, all right, calm down with the production. Can you not score like 20 points a game? Can you like, can we back this up to like 12? Can you be like just mediocre enough so that, <laughs> so that you have to stay for a second year? But right now um, we were looking at mock drafts and it's like the mock draft and NBA.com has him going 22nd overall to the Brooklyn Nets right now. Um, Tankathon has him going 19th overall to the New York Knicks right now. Yahoo has him going 44th overall. Um, they don't do like assigned teams that deep into the draft. But if it, he's going to enter the draft at the end of the season. We agree on that. If, if it is a Malachi thing where they say you're going to be a first-round pick somewhere, he's probably gone. If, it, if the Yahoo draft is closer where it's like you're going to be a mid-second-round pick, he'll be back for a second year and he'll be an absolute menace um, as a sophomore in the big 10. But I didn't realize, I didn't even realize that the mock drafts, most of them already have him as like a late first round pick right now. Well, and that's the, that's the thing that I think when it comes to it, yes, we definitely agree he's going to enter the draft uh, because there's no con to it. And remember when Liddell and Washington did it back in 2020, the combine basically flipped it. We thought Liddell was gone and Washington would be back, and they flipped because Liddell kind of didn't have the best combine while Washington showed out. And that's big because you're showing out either against yourself, right? You're doing measurements, statistics, those things, or you're showing out against other NBA-ready guys. Right? You're not putting up 19 against Maine. Nobody cares about that. But you're showing out against other NBA players. And that's where, um, you know, so so the, the, even as towards the end of the season, we won't really know for sure exactly what Sensible is thinking. But um, – you know, it'll the combine will say a lot. I think for for his growth and development, and or for where he might go, and that's something that obviously doesn't happen for a long time. So we'll see. I also think it's important to remember, um, especially people that don't watch as much college basketball. If there's a casual college basketball fan, the things that make you great in college. And the things that make you great in the NBA that maybe NBA scouts are looking for, they don't yeah. always line up. Um, that's why you can have a team hypothetically that has 
two or three one-and-done players that doesn't even make it to the Sweet 16. There have probably been a couple Kentucky teams in the past 10, 15 years that fall into that bucket because, like Ohio State's team last year with, with Malachi, their Achilles heel was defense. And Malachi Branham, Malachi Branham really wasn't great at defense. He was not a great defensive player. That was a huge problem for that team, and it ultimately it led to their demise in the tournament. Failed to get to the second weekend, even though they had two NBA draft picks. Um, Bryce Sensabaugh also, his weakness is very clearly his defense. That's something that could come and bite this Ohio State team and prevent them from winning games. Because in the grand scheme of things, Bryce Sensabaugh probably isn't a top 50 college basketball player right now. But when the NBA draft rolls around, he could be a top 20 player in the NBA draft. Um, so I just think it's important to remember if, if he does end up being a first-round pick, the, the things that the two levels of basketball require don't always line up perfectly. Yeah, 100%. That, that's a good way of wording it. So it, we'll see. I'm excited to watch him play, obviously, because I think he's a huge role. I mean, he's averaging almost 16 a game for this team. He's re- he's a pretty good rebounder, too. He's averaging four games. So um, I think that's – you know, it's funny because I'm not positive he's, like, the most valuable freshman even on this team, but uh, he's definitely the most draft-ready player on this team. So we'll see. It'll be fun to watch. Buckeyes are also going to get Gene Brown back um, Thursday against Alabama A&M, it sounds like. Um, Chris Holtman did say that – it's not fair to expect Gene to play the minutes or provide the counting numbers, play the same exact role as he did last season. He just basically said Gene hasn't been able to play. He hasn't been able to play full court basketball practice or do full contact stuff for very long. So it's not fair to expect him to come in and what did he do last year? He played 17 minutes a game. Excuse me. He's basically said it's not fair to expect him to do that again this season, but they're so good offensively and they're so average defensively. I think that Holtman is at this point, he's okay saying I'll give Gene 10, 15 minutes a game. If that helps us defensively, even if it drops us offensively a little bit, um, we need to get him back in there. There's been some games where they've had leads or they've been coming back into games and teams have had big runs to kind of nip that in the bud or to take, to come back, cutting deficits on them. That's a perfect time to insert Gene Brown. Okay, right. You you know, he, like you said, he's not he's not going to give you probably twenty a game or anything like that. Obviously, but he is a defensive. He's a very good defensive player. He can knock down the occasional three when he needs to, or get to the bucket when he needs to. And he he just know he's very very good in his role. And it's even little things like he's a junior. This he's one of the only what three guys that have played in this system for two years. You know, he knows exactly what Coach Holman expects. He knows exactly what his role is he's not going to – there is no con to him coming back. He's just going to help this team defensively, probably provide a little bit of a spark offensively, even if it's just five or six points a game, and then be that, like I said, defensive stopper that you need to – okay, go – here's Caleb Love, go stop him. Here's, um, you know, Jet Howard. Here's – because he can he can guard three, maybe four positions on the floor. So it's going to help – you know, you got guys like Bruce Thornton playing 39 minutes a game. It's going to help – he's not playing 39 minutes a game, but he has played 39 minutes in a game. Um, it's going to help just your depth a little bit. And, you know, they're going from what is basically right now an eight-man rotation to a nine. So definitely going to – I'm excited to see him return. And um, and he's just a good he's – a, he's a fun morale guy. He's always on the bench cheering guys on. He's, he's a big, big, uh, big celebration guy. So 
it's, it's he's him him and Zed Key are, are really close, so I think it would help Zed as well. And I mean down you know, downtown Eugene Brown is a nickname nickname that I haven't been able to use in a long time that I would really love to type and put put into a gamer at some point. He's he's a fun player. He's like somebody to root for. He's um even if he doesn't get a ton of time this year, he really does seem like a good guy to have in your program. So wouldn't be um even if he doesn't play much, like wouldn't be shocked if he stayed around and still played his entire collegiate career here. Although, you know, we'll see. I also wouldn't be shocked if he moves on to someplace else next season, if the minutes aren't there. Um, but like you said, end of the game, you're up eight points with a minute and a half left. Gene, Gene Brown, perfect guy for Holtman to be like, yeah. Gene, yep. get in there, go get Bryce. I don't care if you don't score. I don't even need you to take a shot. I need you to guard Paul Mulcahy for the last two minutes of this game. Make sure he doesn't score. Let's get on the bus with a win. That's that's the kind of weapon that they want him to be, even if he's not scoring. Yeah, and, and you know, he played in 26 games last year. He started in 10 of them. You know, he was in the game late for the Loyal Chicago and Villanova games. So he has tournament experience. Like, all this stuff matters. It's not just about... You know, guys pulling, like, oh, we only average four points a game. I don't care if he's back. It's it's so much deeper than that. So much more matters than that. And um, I'm very excited to see what he brings to the team. And, you know, hopefully he's had some time to, to recover. Obviously, you never want to put a guy's health at risk, especially when it comes to head injuries. So it seems like they took it really safe with him, which is good. Um, and I'm excited to see it, man. It sounds like he's good to go. It sounds like the last week or two was more of uh, I, I don't. he didn't play in the main game, but that sounded like it was more of like, you know, hey, Gene just hasn't been able to do like a lot of like full court up and down, full contact stuff at practice. It's not really fair to just throw him into a game and expect him to uh, be able to snap back into it. And God forbid, if you haven't been able to condition properly for a while, you don't want to go out there without having conditioned for a game and, you know, roll an ankle or God forbid, then suffer some other kind of injury because you're not fully conditioned to play. So I think that was it. It seems like he's mostly caught up, and it sounds like he's going to play Thursday. Um, so they should have him back. Last thing is um, Isaac likely still is not back. Um, he's still not back with the team as of right now, although it sounds like a few of the players have had a hard time getting flights back to Columbus. I'm guessing shout-out to Southwest Airlines for that. But um He's not back with the team, and Holtman wouldn't specify if he's not back with the team because of like missed a flight, or if he's just like not going to be back with the team this week. Yeah, I mean, he did return to the team before Christmas break, in between the Rutgers North Carolina game. He traveled with the team to the North Carolina game. He didn't play the North Carolina game, and then he went back for Christmas. And like you said, they've all had some issues getting back to Ohio because if you have been living under your desk for the past two weeks, it's been pretty cold and snowy so guys are struggling and look they got a lot of players from florida georgia ice is from texas these guys fly home so um you know flights have been grounded so it's it's hard to really tell i think we'll get much more of a sense of where they stand with ice come after new year's just because it's such a weird time in general you know they're playing alabama a&m this week they're going to beat them by 30 it's not like this what it is so once you get into the games where you kind of play three games in a week and you got Northwestern, Purdue, Rutgers, you know, coming up. That's when I think we'll really see kind of where they stand with him. If he's still home or if he gets back with the team, like I said, I don't really have a reason to think he wouldn't be back with the team. Maybe at least cause he already has been. I don't, I don't know. Again, they don't have to give us any information on this personal matters or personal matters. 
we're just fans. Um, you know, it, it's not really our business, but um, hopefully, you know, all is well with him. And, you know, hopefully he's able to return to the team because that means all is well with him. So um, just, you know, thinking about him. Yeah. I Like you said, they're playing Alabama A&M um, Thursday night. We're not going to preview Alabama A&M uh, respectfully. Yeah, 340 I, if and Ken Palm out of 363. Yeah, respectfully, we're not going to preview Alabama A&M. Um, we do not care in the words of uh, Mike Tomlin. Um, <laughs> we, do, we do not care. <laughs> we do not care. Well, and uh, I, of course I say that I'll watch the entire game. but um, I've We need to figure out how to do like a – we need to figure out how to get like a soundboard in here. Our production budget is not high enough to get like a soundboard where we can automatically play "I Do Not Care" from Mike Tomlin and who from Mike Woodson. Uh, we need to get yeah, we need to get that in the budget somehow. But anyway, um, the only thing of, of Alabama A&M that I think is kind of interesting shouldn't shouldn't be consequential. It, their adjusted tempo in Ken Palm is like forty two out of like three hundred and sixty yeah, teams. I did see that. So, so they. <laughs> It does. It does lead them to like sixteen or seventeen turnovers per game, as you'd expect when you're like just playing fast. But um, Ohio State, I think tempo they're like two thirty four, and Alabama A and M is forty two. So it it hasn't made Alabama A and M any better, but they do <laughs> get up and down the court real fast. They love to get it and go. Um, so that'll be something to keep an eye on to see how Ohio State's defense does when they're not really able to get set and they just have to scramble and guard because A&M is going to run back and forth up the court and they're going to miss a lot of shots. Um, Ohio State could maybe set their like Chris Holtman's program record for rebounds in this game because that's the way that the, the tempo of this game could set up to be that kind of game where they're just catching a lot of rebounds off of missed shots. Yeah, I think I said this before on this podcast. I did the stats. I called stats my senior year at Kent. And we played uh, Savannah State one year, and they were really bad. But they did—they were the same way. They—they they were like one of the top five offenses in the country when it came to just tempo. But they also like the most turnovers in the country. And it was genuinely the first five minutes, Kent State looked just so lost because this team would just sprint down the floor and like throw it out of bounds or throw it off someone's head or like it looked like children playing. It was—it was unbelievable to watch. And they ended up beating them by forty. But like this team would just sprint down the court and just turn the ball over or miss a layup or something. And, they still only scored like 60 points, but they probably had a hundred some. It was un- unbelievable to watch. So absolutely brain numbing to try to stat because they're just sprinting down the court. And Kent State plays fast too. So it was two fast teams. It was it was a nightmare of a night for me. But um, yeah, definitely, definitely if, if – uh, oh, this game's not after January 1st. I was going to say if this game's after January 1st and those betting props, I would take the over on Zed Key rebounds. But um, this game is not after January 1st, so bet responsibly. <laughs> they <laughs> sorry, Alabama A&M, they average – this is funny. They average 32 rebounds a game. <laughs> so it's like they are not hanging out. They are not hanging out on either end. Trying, They're not trying to rebound their own misses. They're not trying to rebound your misses. They don't care who puts <laughs> the ball in the basket. They're like, we want to shoot the ball, and then we want to go the other way. We're going to let you shoot the ball, honestly, and hopefully you hit it so that we can just take it out and we can sprint back immediately. Like They, they get 32 rebounds it. a game. Um, I wish I could see field – I can see field goal attempts. 723 through 12 games. Quick math. Quick math. I want to see how many shots per game that is, how many shot attempts. 723 divided by 12. 
That is 60 shot attempts per game, which okay, a lot. That's not that. Feels that, that's that a, feels like that's, that's a lot. That actually feels is that a lot? I don't even know if that's a lot. Well, so Ohio <laughs> State in their in their win against Maine last week, which they won 95-61, and they shot 61 percent from the floor, which was like their best shooting game in six years. And so very efficient. One of the most thorough ass beatings that Chris Holtman's teams have handed out at like ever. Um, Ohio State took 67 shots, okay. and Alabama A&M averages 60 shots, and they suck. It'll be very. It'll be <laughs> well on the bright side. Oh, it'll be interesting. That's that's the one thing. But I uh, I would not expect it to be close. That's I literally. Hope, yeah. I really really hope it's not close. <laughs> that's literally the only. That is the only statistic that jumped out at me about that team. I was like, huh, they they move pretty quick. If it's close, we will start the narrative now that uh, they're looking ahead to Purdue. So just if it if it's not close, we're not going to push the narrative. If it is close, I'll start it now right here. They were looking ahead to if Purdue, they, which isn't even they, the next game after Alabama A&M, but I'll still push that narrative because I want to. If they lose to Alabama A&M, I will record an emergency podcast at – I guess it would be like lose, 6 I guess it would be lose, like 6 o'clock on Thursday because – Yeah, if they lose, we're recording another podcast – that will come out roughly six hours after this podcast. But uh, that game's a weird three o'clock game on Thursday. I, I, I don't know. But anyway, we talked to Thomas um, Costello, who is also on staff at Land Grant, um, about the women's team because they are up in the AP Top 5, um, still undefeated at 13-0. Um, they are rolling right now, and we have not talked about the women in a while because neither of us are an expert on women's basketball, and we don't try to be. So we talked to Thomas for about half an hour about the women's team. We hope you guys enjoy it. We hope you stay and listen to this wonderful information about the women's team that is very good. Um, without further ado, here is our interview with Mr. Thomas Costello. All right, we are here with Mr. Thomas Costello, who covers Ohio State women's basketball here at Lane Grant Holy Land. And with the uh, Buckeye women on a heater right now, still on 13-0 and up to in the top five in the AP poll, we thought it would be a good time to have Thomas back on to talk about the team, his thoughts, uh, his projections moving forward, uh, things of that nature. So, Thomas, we appreciate you taking the time today to talk to us. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, thanks for the time and thanks for having me back twice, twice in one year. I feel um blessed that's the word i feel blessed to be back on here so i thank you very much i appreciate it it it's a select group of people who are multiple time guests on this show you join the likes of uh joe gemma and and joey lane so that's a i mean that's a pretty esteemed group wow wow i should have prepared a lot more than um uh, in that case <laughs> thomas uh my first question for you um I'm going to assume that with a 13-0 record and their highest AP poll ranking in program history, you would say that this team, although they're very good, is still overachieving compared to what the expectations were a month and a half ago. Um, who has contributed more than what was expected or what facets of the game has Ohio State been remarkably better at than maybe was expected to get them to the spot they're in now compared to uh, maybe where you thought they'd be a month and a half ago? That's a really great question. Um, at the beginning of the season, I, I'm historically not good at predicting things. Um, I'm not a fortune teller. 
or anything like that. But I predicted at the beginning of the season that they were going to lose to Tennessee and that it was going to be kind of, uh, you know, uh, these games are going to be challenging to Ohio State and they were going to have some difficulties because they increased their non-conference schedule. Last year, their only non-conference game was a Syracuse team that's rebuilding. They lost like eight players in the transfer portal and Ohio State still lost. So I thought, oh, this could come back to hurt them. And then they beat Tennessee by double digits. Same thing with Louisville. They beat Louisville by double digits. I I think that they're playing above their station, I would say, because of uh, just the leadership of the team. I know that sounds kind of cliche, but they're starting a lot of upperclassmen players, players who have been in these situations before. They brought back J.C. Sheldon, uh, guard J.C. Sheldon and Taylor Mikesell. Mikesell uh, playing her last season now. She used her final year of eligibility because, I mean, last year they got to the Sweet 16, lost only by a few points to a really good Texas team. Um, so they, they last year started to show that competitiveness. They started to show that, hey, we can fight against these good teams. I mean, they won the regular season championship last year, which is great. But then you also lost to Michigan twice. You lost to Indiana. You lost to these teams that were kind of seen as the biggest sides within the conference. So bringing all of them back this year was was huge. And I think you saw that with the games that they ended up winning against like Tennessee and Louisville. Because even when they were down, they were down in both of those games. 18 points they were down to uh, Louisville. I think if I remember that correctly, um, I might have the numbers wrong. They were down by close to 20 points to Louisville and they came back and beat them handedly. So I, I think that that experience, they don't get rattled very easily. Even when they're down, they stick to their game plan and it comes out working for them. They play very high intensity, fast paced, forced turnovers, cause mistakes to these teams like bringing them up again, but Louisville and Tennessee earlier examples where they come in thinking, hey, we play for Tennessee. We play for Louisville. We are great programs. And they kind of get um, they kind of get arrogant. And then once they get punched in the mouth, they're like, "I, okay, fine. And then they just kind of fall over to them. Um, so I, I would narrow it down to that. Uh, player-wise, it's so weird because last year, every article was about Taylor Mikesell and J.C. Sheldon. They did everything last year. This year is such a well-balanced team. I mean, offensively, they have six players who average double-digit points per game. Last year, they only had three players all season to ever lead the team scoring in a game. This year, they have five in 13 games. Uh, You have freshmen doing it. You have a player last year in Taylor Theory who averaged 2.9 points a game. She's scoring almost 13 points a game now. It's just... It's it's crazy. I think everything is clicking, and they have the people who can carry them further into the season. Yeah, you, you kind of touched on it with um, what you said with you know the the way they can really play high intensity, high fast paced, and really get into uh, quick scoring. Because it seems like this team sometimes they struggle in the first half, then they're able to come back from deficits or just kind of punish teams and put them in the ground in the second half. Is that an accurate assessment? Are they kind of a second-half team? And what kind of causes that? What what are they kind of doing different out of the break sometimes that you see? I, I think looking at the two examples I keep going back to, those are the two biggest games they've played. The first game against Tennessee, that was at home. It started the season. I think they went down just because of the energy. 
I think it's so much excitement. Cody McMahon, who is now, uh, she just won freshman of the week three weeks in a row. She started that first game and she had, she did well. She scored 10 points in her NCAA debut, but you could tell like the excitement and nerves were there. So they went down to a Tennessee side that's full of, I mean, you can list off names of that team and they're people who have either led their conferences or led past teams that they transferred from um, in most categories offensively. Once they calmed down, they were able to, you know, push their agenda, push their turnovers on them. Louisville was weird. I think that one was they had just played four really kind of bad teams in a row and it kind of took some time. They brought in experienced players to, to go up against the Cardinals who were, you know, leading them pretty early. I, yeah, it's that second half. It's weird because all season they've had these great second half turnarounds, but then last week and Wednesday, they faced the Oregon ducks who were number 16 at the time. Taylor Mike's those facing her old team. And she apparently does not like her old team. She's only there for a year teammates on Ohio State were like we want to play Oregon to play against her uh, to against uh, the Ducks excuse me they had been hoping to play Oregon all year even though it wasn't guaranteed because they had to you know it was one of those in-season quote-unquote tournaments where you win one game and then it determines who you play in the next game Um, so that was a game that they circled on the calendar but then they come out in the second half and they bring a lead that was almost 20 points down to seven and they looked awful. They shot 7.7% in the third quarter. So I adjustment why I don't really know if it's adjustments as much Uh, talking to head coach, Kevin McGuff, he's pretty um, short with his words, not in a mean way. He gets to the point straight to the point. He doesn't give, you know, like 20 minute interviews or anything like that. Some of those halftime talks that comes up often, is just telling him, hey, we didn't talk anything strategic at halftime. I told them to play the game that they are supposed to play. And that's usually enough to get them to come out in the second half and and kind of bring that intensity. That's usually what you end up seeing in the poor games for them is the energy just isn't there in the first half. Uh, I think getting that higher ranking, uh, they're third now in the country, like you mentioned earlier. Uh, they're one away from beating their pro- from tying their program record, which is really funny because the team itself said that number three was their highest ranking. I think at this part of the season, it's the highest ranking, but they've been number two in the country before. I think that got into their heads a little bit <laughs> for some of the games where they've kind of struggled in the first half. So I wouldn't say there's tactical adjustments except for bringing the intensity that they practice with bringing the conditioning that they have and actually some games looking like they want to try in the second half. I guess that is a testament to how well they've been doing that. Some of the games now feel almost beneath them. That makes sense. Yeah, no, that definitely makes sense. Um, And then, you know, you mentioned JC Sheldon a couple of times, obviously she's going to be very important to this team. But, you know, she's only played five games this year. What is kind of – well, first of all, you know, when does it look like she could be back? And also, who's kind of stepped up in her role and kind of helped kind of to pick up some of the production that they lost when she went down with injury? Yeah, she's down with a lower leg injury. It started as being day-to-day, and she was walking around with a boot. And then a couple weeks ago, um, she still had the same boot, but now she's on crutches and she can't put any weight on it. 
head uh, coach McGuff changed her from day to day to week to week. She has not played since Louisville on November 30th. So it's almost been a month now that she hasn't played. Um, in her place was Madison Green, who's no slouch. She was the starting point guard in the 2021 season, but she injured her knee right before the start of last season. So she didn't play at all last year. So she came into JC's spot and she started and she was playing really well. And then last week she injures her knee and what looked like a pretty serious injury. Um, she was on the ground, like bent over almost like fetal position, holding her knee and her teammates were all devastated for her. And I, I think that tells you that it's probably not a, a small injury, but when green was playing for Iowa state, she, I mean, she had started uh, seven of the 12 games here. She came in every game, but once she started, she was picking up on the assists. She had uh, leads the team with 60 assists this year. No one's even close to her in terms of how she can dish out the ball and also her steals, which JC Sheldon, she has 30 steals in five games, which is dumb, which is really stupid that she, uh, she leads the NCAA when you look at steals per game. But even Green was starting to catch up. She doesn't bring the same like sprinting intensity in the press like Sheldon would. But she was starting to get there. Now it looks like she's probably going to be out for a good amount of time. So the uh, person who stepped in now, now they're onto their third point guard, which they used Ricky Harris, who is a redshirt junior. She came in last year for the stretch run. She ended up starting every game from about end of January through uh, their exit in the Sweet 16. She's not a point guard. She hasn't been a point guard since high school, but she slid into that role within 24 hours and had eight assists in the first half against Oregon. Um, so I, Ricky Harris is the obvious choice. I don't think you can go to college teams. You usually don't have a readily available fourth point guard that they can just slide into uh, starting for the team. So until Sheldon comes back, maybe there was an update from the last week or so when they were off for the Christmas holiday, but it, it looks like it's going to be Ricky Harris who is taking up the, the starting point guard kind of mantle um, for them. But scoring wise, they haven't needed Sheldon to be crazy like she was last year offensively. Like I mentioned, all five starters have led the Buckeyes in scoring at least once this season. Uh, even uh, Rebecca Mikulashikova, who was a forward, who last year kind of had a tough season, um, went a couple games without scoring any points. She was really inconsistent. This year, she's averaging almost 16 points uh, per game. She's led the Buckeyes, uh, actually the most of anybody, she's led the Buckeyes in scoring this year. So that's been a change of pace. Gives them a lot more inside the paint. And she can also hit threes. She's been hitting threes at a just under 40% clip. Uh, so that's always helpful. It may, I mean, stretches the defense out a little bit. And Taylor Mikesell, she's had a couple rough games this year until that Oregon game where she um, scored 25 points against her former team. But she's always dangerous. I, I think the team is so even scoring-wise from – the starting five, but under that is where it kind of gets, uh, I think a little more difficult to see who can fill in. I, I, at this point, I feel like they're out there. Okay. We can't lose another starter or else things are going to get uh, rough. 
Thomas, a quick follow-up about about JC. I know that you said that McGuff has just called it a lower leg injury, and um, I know you're a fly on the wall in the Land Grant chat, and you see us all complaining about Ryan Day constantly not giving injury information. <laughs> uh, yeah. Chris Holt, like just using a counterexample, a lot of the times when I talk to Chris Holtman, the men's basketball coach, he he'll get he'll get real specific into it's it's a toe, it's an ankle, it's a it's this finger mm-hmm. has McGuff. And that specific for Sheldon as to it's a foot or it's an ankle because lower leg, I mean, that could mean anything from your knee down to your, your big toe. Has they, have they been any more specific (laughs) about what it is? Yeah, it really hasn't. I've been in all the press conferences at all the games and, and, and as they've played better, you start to see new people pop up. And that question has come up all the time from other people. Like what's her injury? And he won't, he won't go any deeper than lower leg injury. I haven't seen anything else about it. I haven't heard anything else about it. Um, I think this weekend against Michigan is first a really big game. It's number three versus number 14 in the country. But um, if she's still at the point where it doesn't look like it's happening, I'm probably going to ask him. I probably asked him at least a good three times in the last month and a half. (laughs) Um, and so it always comes back to lower leg injury. He's not going to get more specific than that. Maybe he thinks he's, you know, violating HIPAA or something like that. But he's not uh, He's not giving too much outside of uh, what we've heard so far. And then my other question was not specifically about, about JC. It's just in general, the team and the guards. and the. So I was at the Tennessee game, and I, I did see just the full court press and how exhausting it is that – McGuff is more or less having his team full court press basically the entire game on everybody. And it just looked exhausting to watch. And I looked up the stats and so of power five teams, Ohio state is leading the country in forced turnovers. So there's a couple teams ahead of them, but they're uh, it's like East Carolina and I think Niagara. So not to take away from smaller schools, but if you just look at power five, Ohio state is first. They also lead the big 10. So then I was looking at uh, fouls, personal fouls, because um, comparing it to men's basketball, like some of the older West Virginia teams, or a better co- comparison is like Aaron Kraft, of the old Ohio State point guard of a, almost a decade now. Holy cow. But teams that force a lot of turnovers, get a lot of steals, also tend to um, pick up a lot of fouls. Ohio State is like third from the bottom in the Big Ten in fouls committed. So they are – they have so many, they force so many turnovers, so many steals, yet they're not fouling at all. How do you even explain what they're doing on defense, how they have the energy to do what they're doing, yet they're not picking up fouls? They're doing so much of it clean. Talking to the players, I talked to Ricky Harris and Cody McMahon um, before they went to San Diego a couple weeks ago, and I asked them about that conditioning. I asked them about running around, and they said it's just um, even the players doing it. It's it's chaos. They're running as fast as they can. It's not like it's not like the game slows down for them. It's just as fast as you see uh, doing it to other people. Uh, those turnovers that happen um, a lot, like steals wise. I talked about JC earlier. JC was going insane with steals. She tied the program record with eleven steals in a game. Uh, she just had a, a few weeks, or probably at this point, two months ago. A lot of the turnovers that they cause, it's not necessarily like, okay, I'm going to grab the ball from you, but it's intercepting passes. It's getting them to just 
make really bad passes. Right. It's, it's pressuring making, other team into making mistakes because they're just on their heels now. Yeah, you can't just walk down the court. You can't just, you know, gingerly walk down the court. I always think of, and this is more dated than Aaron Kraft, but uh, Ray, Rajon Rondo always rolled the ball, especially when he was with Boston. He would roll the ball so the time wouldn't go off the clock, you know, to try to save as much time as possible. You could never do that because especially when Ohio State's hitting their shots, which at that Tennessee game they weren't doing in the first half, which is why Tennessee was able to go ahead. Once they hit shots, their press is so effective. And it's not always, you know, reaching in and, you know, reaching fouls or causing those whistles to blow. It's just making them off their off their balance. Like you said, it's just making them feel like the walls are closing in and making them make mistakes. Um, so that's why that's been able to benefit them. Um, yeah, and fortunately, too, for them this season, they haven't had a lot of, I would say, poorly, poorly officiated games. There have been some that were questionable against USF last week in the first San Diego Invitational game. Two players for Ohio State fouled out, which is totally against the norm that you've seen this year. Uh, Kevin McGuff got a technical because he was not liking how things were going on the court. Um, But they have had the luxury of, I would say, um, not obviously poor officiating so far this year either. And then if we want to zoom out a little bit and look at just the Big Mm -hmm. Ten in general, I believe there's five Big Ten teams in the AP Top 25 and uh, maybe two more that are getting AP votes, um, including Ohio State. You can pick Ohio State for this. Has there been a Big Ten team that you've been surprised how much better they're doing than maybe um, just in general the media or what the expectations were for a team heading into the season? Any Big Ten team? Yeah, I'll pick I'll pick two teams. The one team that surprised folks is um, Illinois. Uh, the Fighting Illini have done really well this year um they've 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 lost some games they brought in a lot of new transfers but the amount of points they're able to score this season that's been really impressive i think they're going to be a team that almost like an ohio state last season might be able to surprise people might be able to you know play really strong against the teams you should beat and then steal a couple games like ohio state did against maryland and iowa last year and maybe you're in the conversation later in the season so a line i are up there also uh coach mcguff he he doesn't watch a lot of other games i mean he has i think like five kids and then he's also coaching his college program so he doesn't watch a lot of other basketball teams outside of prep but that was a team that stood out to him too um another one are the actually the michigan wolverines who are playing this weekend um, in columbus at the cavelli center on new year's eve they lost nas hillman who was one of the best centers in the country. She went to the WNBA thinking that, okay, they're going to have a dip. Like something's going to happen this year. Outside of one slip up against the Toledo Rockets, Michigan's had a pretty good season this year. Um, they're the fourth best ranked team in the, in the conference, but they're only at 14, two slots above Iowa. They've been able to take on um, some good teams to beat them like South Florida, USF, who they're unranked, but USF is a tough team to face. Uh, they beat a ranked Baylor team. They beat the number six team, North Carolina, just before the holiday break. I think Michigan this weekend, I I think this weekend will be the largest test for both teams. I think this weekend Saturday game is going to show a lot between 
is Ohio State for real? Because, I mean, they beat Tennessee. They beat Louisville. Both of those teams, though, have since gone on to drop out of the top 25. So I don't know if that means that maybe Ohio State didn't beat as good of a team as we thought initially, or maybe Ohio State just broke them. I don't know. (laughs) Either one of those, I guess, could be plausible. Um, Beating Oregon, that might be so far their best win of the season. Beating Michigan would be probably the highlight of the year so far for Ohio State, especially since last year they, with Nas Hillman leading the Wolverines, they just um, they scorched the Buckeyes last year. It wasn't close. They destroyed them in both games, and it didn't look like a competitive, uh, competitive game. So if they can beat Michigan at home on New Year's Eve, that's going to be crazy momentum if you believe in momentum from game to game pushing them into uh, 2023. And I lied, I'm going to add a third team. I think Maryland, this shouldn't be like a surprise, but um, Maryland lost two of their starters to all Big Ten players last year, and Ashley Wosu and um, Angel Reese, and they're still they're still doing really well this year. They beat UConn, although UConn's down like three starters, two of them being um, AZ Fudd and Paige Buker, so they they lost their two best players, but I, I think Maryland will also be a surprise. And Indiana, they're not a surprise. I'm just going to throw their name in there anyway because they're probably them, Ohio State, and Iowa. Those are the three teams that should be competing for the conference at the end of the year. Yes, I actually recently turned on a UConn game. This isn't really relevant, but I turned on a UConn game and I didn't know who any of these people were because <laughs> I forgot they had all those injuries. But I was like, where is everybody? Uh, but yeah. um, do you have a do you, do you have a disappointing team in the Big Ten this far? <sighs> That's that one's tough. I'd say the closest one I would pick uh, are the Nebraska Cornhuskers. Uh, I, I, last year, shocking. Yeah, <laughs> right. Uh, last year, Nebraska was uh, a team that surprised a lot of people. Won the first twelve games of the season. They were never ranked last year, but they played. They came to Ohio and played the Buckeyes pretty well last season. Um, they shocked the Wolverines. Actually, part of the reason why Ohio State won the championship in the regular season was because Nebraska was able to beat uh, Michigan. They played them in the tournament really well, too. Uh, this year, they came in ranked, and they had a really bad week. They lost to Drake. They lost to Creighton. Um, and they lost to third. I can't remember the, uh, which game it was off the top of my head. But they've lost those games this year, and they fell out of the top 25. But lately, they've been kind of fighting their way back into the conversation. But I'll pick Nebraska uh, just because they have the talent. They're a really uh, strong team, especially, you know, their best players. Anybody would love to have them on their team uh, when Josh Shelley and Alexis Markowski. Um, but, yeah, I'll, I'll pick Nebraska. But they, they, they might at the end of the season come away as not being that much of an upsetting team. Yeah, when I was in uh, Omaha, I actually covered uh, Markowski. In her high school career, she's very good. Oh, nice. Um, very, very good. But um, And I also, when I was in Omaha, I became a, a Creighton fan. So I oh. created a rivalry between <laughs> Creighton and Nebraska in my head. So I, I always just like to, to shit on Nebraska. Um, <laughs> they beat Creighton last year. They did beat Creighton last year. Creighton came back this year. And they it, it was a ranked matchup. But Creighton just, oh, my gosh, they embarrassed. It was 77 to 51. They embarrassed Nebraska this year. Perfect, and I'll just edit that first part out. Um, so, <laughs> obviously, Ohio State, the, the women's team is doing 
obviously most things very well. One thing they struggle with a little bit is they are the worst rebounding team in the Big Ten. Yeah. Um, but they're a good shoot. They're a good shooting team. Ohio State men's fans they love their rebounding. Uh, it's the biggest. Even when Ohio State out rebounds teams, the comments are all like rebound better. So, do you think there's like is, is this going to be a problem? Do you think obviously you know like against Michigan, not having a Nas Hillman in that respect will be better for them. What what is kind of the the thing? The cause or is there cause for concern there in your opinion? They did not rebound anybody last year either. Um, I, I think that's just the team that you have out there. Uh, a team that's running a full court press like this, and you're running so much, and there's so much asked of your players. I, I think that you you sacrifice it for all the re for all the turnovers you're yeah. getting. Sure, you're losing. it's a give and take. Yeah, you're right. You're you're losing on the rebound front, but you're also have the best turnover margin in all of NCAA. So. I mean, you're you're gaining more possessions. Sure, you might you know lose a, a defensive rebound or something like that. But I, I I don't think that it necessarily keeps Coach McGuff up at night. He'll mention it and he, he talks about it post game. But this year, it, it's been close this year. Just watching it, not even looking at stats. Last year, it was obvious that okay, they can't out rebound anybody. But this year, they have been better in that department. They've been able to claw back on the rebounding front later on into games. Uh, I think Taylor Theory, the sophomore who kind of came out of nowhere last year and started getting big minutes, she she leads the team in rebounding so far this year. She's the best rebounder on the court because she's only, I think, like 5'11". Yeah, she's 5'11", 6 feet, but she can jump higher than anybody on the court. She is the most athletic player Um in the arena most of the time. I mean, her dad was a NFL player and her mom was a college volleyball player. So she's, she's got all of this athletic ability. I think as she kind of gains confidence throughout the year, maybe that helps. But uh, again, I don't think they're too worried about being edged out in the rebounding department. Now against Michigan, against Indiana, Maybe that changes. Maybe that's the deciding factor because those teams hit kind of a different level than I think Ohio State's seen so far this year. All right, Thomas, last thing, and you have been hinting at it. You've been dropping little nuggets here and there, so now we're only going to talk about it. Number three, Ohio State. Number 14, Michigan. New Year's Eve, 1 o'clock at the Cavelli Center, which is a much better and much more fun atmosphere for college basketball so just in better. general than the Schottenstein Center. Just facts. So much better. Why are the Buckeyes going to win this game first? Why are they going to win? Or if, they, if they're going to lose, where is the hypothetical uh, situation as this is why they would lose to a Michigan team? To take it away and tell people why they need to be there. It's on BTN right. too, folks. So – no reason not to watch you. Well, first of all, it's at one o'clock on New Year's Eve. It's not interrupting any like New Year's Eve ball drop. It's not interrupting, you know, the Ohio State Georgia game. It's not. It's not going to interrupt any of that. So you're going to be home by like three thirty at the latest, depending on what happens with traffic. If it goes in overtime, something like that. If you've already had too many, if you've already had too many drinks to drive to that game, then you have. You, you really need to look in the mirror and question. Oh, there are a lot of, of problems I think you need to address. There are past traumas there that you probably need to to work through <laughs> if that's the case. Yeah, it's it, the Cavelli Center is amazing. It's not a a cavern like Schottenstein Center. Uh, it, I tell folks usually when they go to the Schottenstein Center, like this is also a place where they do monster truck rallies. So it's not definitely built for 
college basketball environment. It's not, it's not Duke, right? It's not, it's not one of those things. It's not St. John's arena, but Cavelli center is as close as you can get to that home crowd helping the team. Everyone is on the court pretty much. Um, it's where the volleyball team plays, where the wrestling team plays, uh, gymnastics. They do shot scene center still. Anyway, uh, it's an amazing venue to watch the game. It feels like you're in the game. Cause you're right there. There's I, I, people say it's about every stadium, but there's legitimately no bad seats. Everybody is in the lower bowl. Whenever you go to the Cavelli center. And it, I, I think you need that against a Michigan side. Cause they will have fans. They will have family who are going to be there. It's not all very long drive from Columbus to Ann Arbor. I, I think if they lose this game, Ohio state, the reason they're going to lose it is because of shooting. I think it's because of going cold. I think this game will motivate them just because of last year losing to them twice and it wasn't close, losing two pretty bad games against the Wolverines. I think anytime Ohio State plays Michigan, it's big. But this one with Ohio State playing so well this year, this is a game that really defines like, should we have this number three ranking? And so I think that means that they're going to come out with intensity. If that, If the shots don't fall, though, are they able to mentally be like, okay, keep playing our game, keep going? Um, I think that's going to be what decides who's going to win or lose. And that one, they'll probably get out-rebounded, yeah, for sure. But I, I think if they can force enough Michigan mistakes, if they can have a hostile-like environment to play in, that'll really benefit, uh, I think, the Buckeyes. And also, I think the only other sporting event got Sunday is like the Blue Jackets, and haven't they lost like 12 games in a row or something like that? There's no really nothing else you could do that's better than um, for pretty cheap seat watching, you know, the number three team in the country face another top 15 uh, team. If they win, though, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's literally... Uh, sorry, if they win, I think it's their diversity of scoring. Um, Cody McMahon, I think this will be a big game for her. Uh, because she's been kind of benched in games where they've needed experience on the court. They don't really have it now. They're they're down to their third point guard. Uh, if she can continue her back-to-back-to-back freshman of the week performances, and if Taylor Mikesell hits anything close to what she usually does, um, I, I think Ohio State has a, a really strong chance to win. There's no betting odds. I don't think there's any betting placed yet for Ohio State women's basketball um, like there is for the men's side. But – I would guess that Ohio State would be like a slight favorite in this one. Perfect. And yeah, I mean, it's 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 a perfect day. You go to the Ohio State women's game at 1 o'clock. You watch them beat Michigan. You go home. Then you get to watch the college football playoff, which starts at 4 o'clock. Oh, it's yeah. just you, you can time it out. Per, you, you could time it out perfectly. So no reason. If I was in Columbus, I'd be there. I'm in Cleveland, so I'm not. I'll be watching. But um, you got, got, got to get to the game. This is the number three team in the country. Yeah, yeah I mean, you, there's not much more you can say about that. Um so definitely go support the women's team. Also go support Thomas in his writing. Uh, Thomas, where can they find you? Oh, yeah, sure. I'm on uh, the Twitterverse and also on Instagram. I don't know why. Everything's posted on Twitter. I don't know. I don't post on Instagram. But it's at the number one, one Thomas Costello, no underscores, nothing like that. One T-H-O-M-A-S-C-O-S-T-E-L-L-O. But everything I write uh, currently is on Land Grant Holy Land uh, when it comes to when it comes to basketball. Yeah. 
Yeah, and like you said, you're at every home game. You're at every, you know, you do the, the post game notes. Mm-hmm. You got feature stories. You got everything that people could want. Uh, in my completely unbiased opinion, oh. definitely the best in the business when it comes oh, to the women's team. It. So definitely go check. Stop it. Oh, you know, we got to We got to We got to butter him up so he can be one of the few three-time oh, guests. Oh man, wow. three-time exactly. guests. Yeah. Man, that, I, I need to not count my chickens. Um, <laughs> I have to say this: uh, they're playing Wednesday night. Ohio State's going to Northwestern. That is the only time this season I've missed three games in person. That's because two of them were in San Diego and one's in Illinois. Like I, it stinks. I hate watching it on TV. I'm excited to be in, especially in Cavelli on Saturday. Um, I, I just love being there and it's, it, it's a fun atmosphere. And I think that they're a team worth following. Um, and they have a lot of interesting stories. So thanks for anybody who has read them. Or we'll read them. Yeah, and as we touched on, you know, they're a super fun team to watch. So yeah. definitely go out and check them out. Follow Thomas if you don't. And, um, you know, thank you for joining us, Thomas, and appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, for sure. Thanks, Thomas. Yeah, thanks again for having me. Thanks again uh, to Thomas for joining us today. Again, uh, the women play on New Year's Eve on Saturday, 1 o'clock at the Cavalli Center. Um, it's also on BTN if you're at home and want to watch. Um, if you want to do like Justin said, watch the women at 1 and then watch both of the playoff games at 4 and 8, and that'll roll you right into midnight. Um, if you found this on the website, make sure to also subscribe uh, Spotify, Apple Music, wherever you get your uh, music and podcasts at so that you'll be notified every week when we put out episodes. You can find us under the Land Grant Holy Land feed. And you can find me at Justin underscore Golba or Bucketheads at Bucketheads LGHL. Genuinely go check out Thomas. Uh, the women's team doesn't get nearly enough coverage in general, but that is not through any fault of Land Grant or Thomas. I truly believe he puts out more articles and podcasts a week than me and Connor do combined. Um, so he's, he's fantastic. Go check him out. And, and that's not saying we don't work hard. He just works incredibly hard. So uh, shout out to Thomas. He does awesome stuff. You can follow every game, like I said, on TV or through his Twitter. Um, so definitely, like I said, I, I, I'm not, I, I joked on the thing in my own biased opinion, but in, truly, I do believe he is the best person covering the high state women's team uh, right now. And it'll be fun to see people really tune into him as they go deeper and deeper into this run. So uh, shout out to Thomas. Yeah, follow him on Twitter. Honestly, it's like I've only been to one I've only been to one women's game this season, but if if you follow the right people on Twitter, it kind of feels like you're so absorbing all the knowledge of the women's team. If you follow Thomas on Twitter, even if you're not paying close attention to the women's team, you will still know about the women's team and have a pretty good feel for how they're doing. So follow him on Twitter for sure. You can follow me on Twitter if you want, at LeMans underscore Connor, um, L-E-M-O-N-S underscore Connor. That's all we got for today. Um, thank you for listening. Go Bucks. And happy new year as long as as long as we're not recording an emergency podcast after the game. Happy New Year. Have a good weekend.